All right, it's Blair and Barker for Thursday. Look, like it's raining outside. Yep. Sweet. <laughs> the Jays and Red Sox will wrap uh, up their three-game you know, series. You know how uh, hard it is to drive in this city when it rains? Huh? No. Uh, well, it, people act like they've never seen rain here. It's odd. Just noticed that when you said it's raining. That's like, just hard. How to long it's going to take me to get home? It's just hard to drive in the city in general. Be careful. You, you know drive. what I miss? Why drive like this? You know what? You know what? You know what That's I why do my miss? My arm's huh? so tanned. You know what I do miss though? Used to be a time where everybody had mud flaps in their car, so you could, you, you know, you could follow a car and you wouldn't, your window wouldn't get completely gummed up. Now it's like nobody has them. Don't follow so close. And it, it's it, your windows get messy in the rain. Man, I tell you what. I'm just serious. <laughs> tell you the truth. I'm telling you the truth. That is what you're thinking of when you're sitting in ungodly traffic. <clears throat> yeah. I'm, Why does that dude not have mud, mud flaps? <laughs> just thinking about it. I, I'm running out of windshield wiper fluid. <laughs> I just think I think I think about things like that. Yeah, I you know, I know I have a lot I have a lot oh, of time. I think I think about the the minutia of life, right? The minutia of life. How far does that get? Well, far enough that I'm still alive. <laughs> it is a long drive to to your house. It's not that you got long. A long. You got a lot of time. It's not that long. It's not that long. Anyhow, the uh, Jays and Red Sox will wrap up their three-game series tonight at Fenway Park. Haven't seen the weather, but uh, Jays going for the sweep. A win tonight will put them 13 games over 500. Their high watermark for the 2022 season. They were last 13 games over 500 on August 4th. I thought it was a lot, a lot earlier than that, but. Uh, so the Jays have a chance to do that. And then that sets up the three-game series against the Los Angeles Angels at the Rogers Center Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. We just spoke mm. to uh, Pat Borders about the reunion of the 1992 Blue Jays World Series team that will take place on Saturday. And uh, uh, that game, again, is sold out. You'll have to go in the secondary ticket market. To buy hmm. tickets for that, and I'm told that they're quite pricey. You think? So Tani against Alec Manoa. Oof. Yeah. And my guess is Alec Manoa will be up for that game. You think, you think so? <laughs> I think Alec Manoa will be up for that game. You think so? I yeah. A lot, Al- of, <clears throat> a lot of sinkers and righties. I, I, th- I think mm. Alec Manoa is. Uh, he he will he will put on he will put on a show. It's one of the things I really like about Alec Manoa is you do see. There are just guys who they just like they like it when it's a big moment. They understand for it. whatever the reason. They understand, they understand what the it. moment is. Yeah. They sure do. Yeah. You know, I it's I always remember when David Cohn pitched his perfect game against the Montreal Expos at Yankee Stadium on Yogi Berra Day mm. when Don Larson and Yogi Berra were there. Yeah, it's great to watch a guy pitch a perfect game. <clears throat> it's remarkable. But to have a guy who understood Yep. What he did, where he did it at Yankee Stadium, who was at the game, to have somebody understand the significance of the event in terms of the wider the, the wider meaning behind it is um it's it's just it's it's really cool. Guy, guys who throw sinkers though need sound mechanics. He has not had that in a in 
you know, a good amount of starts here. And the, you know, the, the heart rate that goes up that won't help that. So if you can control the heart rate a we'll little. We'll also be facing Mike mechanics Trout. Mechanics out. Oh, yeah. We haven't mentioned that. Mechanics out in front, and he'll face Otani too. So it's, <clears throat> it'll be interesting to see how he controls all that, throwing strike one, being efficient. He's a, he's a really good pitcher. So it'll be a lot of fun to watch. Yeah, I'm, uh, I think Can't a wait. lot of us are looking forward to to seeing that. And I guess the uh, the you know the future of Shohei Otani is something that has been a, a talking point this season. And I think it even kind of picked up a little more steam when we found out that the Washington Nationals were, were going to trade Juan Soto and did trade Juan Soto because at that point, I think the people looked around baseball and thought, well, my God, if you can trade Juan Soto, you can probably get rid of just about anybody. Uh, Shohei Otani did not move at the trade deadline. Now, since then, the Los Angeles Angels have announced that they are exploring the possibility of of selling the team. Arte Moreno's exploring the possibility of selling the team, which means he will likely sell the team. How that works out, how that dovetails with Shohei Otani's expectations and Shohei Otani's contract is 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 going to be one of these stories to monitor going forward. And I'm sure one of the people who'll be paying close attention to it is our next guest. He's Jeff Passan, MLB insider with ESPN. And Jeff, before we welcome you to the show as always, before we get uh, we we get into the meat of the interview, congratulations on winning the uh, Dan Jenkins medal for your article on Drew Robinson uh, and uh, and his 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 suicide attempt. And um, just his comeback from that, it's a, it was a remarkable story. And I know for sports writers, any writers, but for sports writers in particular, the Jenkins Award is, is a real honor. So congratulations on that, sharing it with Sally Jenkins. Well, thank you, man. I appreciate that. And look, I, I said at the time that that is the best story I will ever write. And I am absolutely okay with that but the the more important thing than the story is that it was an introduction to the world who drew robinson is who he wants to be and the things that he's done over the last you know year and change since the story came out and the things that he's going to do going forward in helping people um I just feel really lucky and privileged to have been there at the beginning and, and to have helped shine a little light on uh, what he's going to mean to the world, which I think is a lot. Well, you know, one of the things when you are a writer, it's always good to have a hand in opening a, in opening a door that uh, is going to help other people. And that is yeah. exactly what the Drew Robinson story no did. Question. And it's exactly what Drew Robinson's doing. So, uh, yes, it's... As I said, it wasn't just a terrific story, mm-hmm. but uh, a lot of good is going to come from it. And uh, again, congratulations on the award. Um, and, and I think I know a lot of folks have won that award. Now, Shinin's won it as well, so that's pretty good. I feel good when my friends win oh, awards like that. Like, anytime I win the same award that Dave Shinin has, I feel like it's uh, like it's a great day. It is indeed. It's the best. It He's is the best. Um, so... Uh, I, I want to ask you a bit about the the Angels sale and how that might or might not impact uh, Shohei Otani's future with the team. It, you know, we had the, we had this discussion with Juan Soto when the the Nationals were looking to trade him. If you were buying the Washington Nationals, 
wouldn't you be buying a more valuable asset with Juan Soto? And I had people tell me, and I had investment bankers tell me, eh, it doesn't, you know, with all due respect, Jeff, Juan Soto's a great player, but yeah, when you buy the Washington Nationals, you're buying a lot more than Juan Soto. Um, but Shohei Otani is a unicorn. We talk about that. And I've got to think in terms of player value and marketing value, he's a bit of a unicorn here as well. So how, how is this all going to work out, do you think? He's also a unicorn who's one year from free agency. And we can't discount the possibility that Shohei Otani, after five years of mediocrity from that team, feels like his best chance at winning a championship may come somewhere else. And, yeah, if you're buying the Angels, I suppose you're buying a negotiating window for Shohei Otani. But considering when the sale is going to go through, Jeff, and it's not going to be, I wouldn't think, before the off season is over, maybe spring training next mm-hmm. year. At, at that point, you more or less neutered trade value compared to where it could have been. And uh, frankly, that was done on August 2nd at 6 p.m. this year. Right. Um, you know, the the best opportunity the Angels were going to have to absolutely maximize what they could get for Shohei Otani was at the trade deadline this year. And the reason they didn't do it is because Artie Moreno wouldn't have said yes. And Artie Moreno is about to sell the team. So it's very on brand of him to uh, to do something that uh, leaves the Los Angeles Angels in a worse position to win a championship going forward. Jeff, I don't know if you know this or not, but does Otani even want to go to, say, New York, Chicago, or is that market too big for him? No, there's not. A, I don't think there's a market that's too big for him. No? I mean, think of, no, think about it. He's already got a market. It's an entire country. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And... And and the entire country of Japan looks at him as, you know, probably in, in more reverential terms than we do here um, as the best baseball player in the world right now is arguably, and you can probably make a pretty good argument that this is the case, the most talented baseball player in history. Mm-hmm. And, and so, you know, he came to the United States at 23 years old, he could have waited a couple more years and locked in hundreds of millions of dollars and chose not to. He came here because he wanted the competition. He wanted uh, to, to see if he could conquer Major League Baseball like he had Nippon Professional Baseball. And he's done exactly that at this point. So uh, the idea of some city or some entity being too big for him? No. The the question I have is wherever he goes, is it big enough to support and sustain what he brings in all of his talent? You know, as as a baseball fan, I, th- I think back to Arte Moreno buying the Angels. I can, I can remember, I can actually remember sitting down and interviewing him uh, when uh, during a road trip after he had bought the Angels. I, and this was yeah. his first year. I found him very engaging. But I, I, you think back to what, at, at the time, uh, a Latino buying a team in a big market appeared to be a baseball fan. I mean, baseball was beside itself. This was, oh. this was such a, a 
a good thing. And, and you know, now I look at it and, man, I look at Mike Trout, Shohei Otani. I, I, I'm sure Angels fans are happy that this is, that they're going to get a chance to move on. But part of me, Jeff, feels like this is just, a, this was a, a lost opportunity here in a lot of ways for our tape, for the Angels, for baseball, and, f- and for that market. I don't know how you feel, but I, I look at it that way. Been an enormous lost opportunity. Uh, Mike Trout, Jeff, is more than a decade into his career and still hasn't won a playoff game. Shohei Otani is half a decade into his career in Major League Baseball and has never played a game of significance. Like, hasn't even played in a playoff game, hasn't even participated in a pennant race. Um, You're talking about the wasted careers of two of the best players to ever play the game in terms of not not what they do when they go out there. It's still incredible and resplendent in every adjective you can possibly fathom that's got a positive connotation to it. But it doesn't matter when it comes to championships right. because the Angels haven't been within sniffing distance of, of a playoff spot, let alone getting a ring. So, yeah, that, that has been a, an egregious failure organizationally. And there's an argument and a compelling argument to be made that uh, Artie Moreno's heavy handedness in terms of baseball operations decisions, whether it was signing Albert Poole, signing Anthony Rendon, signing Josh Hamilton, you know, the angels, uh, what the angels have been best at is signing really bad long-term deals. Mm. Like that's their specialty. And, and that is the thing that cripples franchises yeah. more than anything, the bad long-term deal. And uh, among the three that I mentioned before, in addition to Justin Upton, uh, the Angels have, have made a habit of bad long-term deals. Right. Jeff, do you think the Angels are close to winning? No. Nope. Nope. Farm system is mediocre. Big league club right now is bad. Um, no, they are they are not they're not anywhere close to winning right now. Moving on from the Angels, there there was a story in the Washington Post today about uh, Ted Leonsis possibly uh, buying yeah. the the Nationals. Um, you know, Leonsis already owns the Wizards and um, and and the Capitals. I believe he also owns the arena. I think he owns the arena as well. Um, yep. This is a uh, this is a two billion dollar. Uh, you know, that sale that we're they're they're possibly they're possibly looking at. Uh, I'll ask you in some ways the a similar question. Well, not a similar question about the Angels, but it, it would seem actually that this sale might be a little easier to to go through uh, with, with Ted Leonsis, wouldn't it? In that he's already he's a known commodity as an owner. Um, you know, his franchise has he's had success with the with with the Capitals. Um, I don't know if baseball's particularly concerned about cross ownership guys owning a team in one sport and owning it in another. I mean, at one point that used to be a thing. I'd, I'm not certain it is now. But uh, how? What are you hearing on that? And how close is that sale to being completed? Because that struck me as one of those things. We were just going to wake up one day and the Lerner family were, were going to have sold it to somebody with a ton of money, and that's it. You know, and 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 we'd move on. I got it. Let me look through my texts here. Um, this was in 
late July. Um, I heard Ted Leonsis and David Rubenstein are buying the team. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> and and okay. David Rubenstein's another guy with, with uh, very deep ties to the Washington area. It just makes all the sense in the world. I'm such an advocate for local ownership. I think it's an important thing that the, the person or people who own a franchise have some sort of commitment to the community, some sort of stake in the community. It, it's just one of those things where if sports franchises are institutions – in cities, if that's if that's how they want to, how ownership wants to sell them to us, then ownership needs to put its money where its mouth is, and needs to put uh, its you know its mouth in the actual city in which the franchise is located. And so, to me, uh, you know, it seems like a no-brainer for for Ted Leonsis to be the guy, and it's going to be really interesting to see how the owners approach this, uh, especially. If the Leonsis bid is not as high as mm. some others, what is the priority going to be? I I would argue, and you know I'm I'm sure there are plenty of others who disagree with me here, but I would argue that uh, a local owner who pays a little less is is better for the organization than trying to go and scrape every last dollar out of a sale. But I also don't own a sports franchise, mm-hmm. so it's very easy for me to talk about other people's money in that respect. The uh, schedule came out for next year. Do you like it? Um, I, I, you know, I like the fact that everyone plays everyone. Me too. It, it just when when you have 162 games, it just feels like that should have always been the case. I, you know, I don't like the extra travel for players. I, I, I worry about what that's going to do to the product and. Uh, you know, it, it used to be, well, if if you're tired, if you're worn out, uh, go pop a greenie and have a good game. And uh, I don't think amphetamines are really uh, prevalent in the game anymore. And because of that, uh, I, I do worry about guys' bodies breaking down a little more. Listen, travel is travel is hard. And I understand they, they travel a lot differently than we do. You know, they're on private jets. They, you know, they have everything... Uh, handed to them, given to them, the, the stresses of travel that we go through, it's not quite the same with athletes, and yet they're still, you know, landing at 2 or 3 o'clock in the morning and having to take a bus to the hotel. And uh, th- those long nights and late nights, even when you're in your 20s, like, they catch up to you. So I hope that the consequence of the extra travel is not deleterious to the actual product. But... Uh, for fans, like getting to see everyone around the league, A+. plus. Do you think this opens the door to realignment or a, a rearrangement of, uh, yes. of divisions? It would seem to, wouldn't it? Once we've crossed the threshold uh, and we're playing a balanced schedule, you might as well make more changes. Uh, it's, a, it's a no-brainer. They're going to have two expansion teams. They're going to go to eight, fourteen divisions, and that feels like just a fait accompli at this point. Do you think that would be, I mean, every, every negotiation is difficult in baseball, but do you think that it would be the type of thing that, you'd be, that would be able to be hammered out with the Players Association before a new CBA? In other words, could you open the CBA to deal with that the way you did with, uh, with, with uh, drug testing, for example, or would that have to wait until the new CBA? 
I feel like it probably would have to coincide with right. a new one. Just and though, I mean, if you're MLB right now and you're tethering something as important and as financially lucrative as expansion to a negotiation with the Players Association yep. that you have a really difficult time negotiating with, you know, yeah. thinking about it in that respect, maybe not. Yeah, yeah, that would. Uh, it's like. These guys won't agree on the time to hold the meeting, let alone what they're going to meet about. So that's, that's, that's a fair point. Jeff, I want to ask you about the Blue Jays. And the other Jeff asked me to start the show, if the season ended today, which team do I think the Blue Jays would rather play? Would it be in your mind? Would it rather be in the first round? Seattle, Tampa Bay, or the Guardians? Hmm. Oh, boy. I said the Mariners, by the way. That helps. No, it doesn't help. <laughs> um, <laughs> I said anybody but the Guardians yeah. if that helps. How about that? I, I'm with I'm with Jeff, too. Well, okay. okay, why? Why are you... Pitching, you lineup, defense, running the bases. They play the Jays well. They've really, yeah, they've handled the Jays really well this year. They've frustrated the Jays. Their lineup is... It, for whatever reason, has been able to wear the Jays pitching down, and and I like their starting pitching. That just it just seems to, they just seem to have the Jays number. Jays weaknesses. Yeah, they just seem to have the Jays number. I see. I Cleveland's probably the Cleveland's probably my answer. Who who huh. I would want to face? Um, I, I'm I'm looking at Tampa, and I see the top of that rotation um, is Shane McClanahan. Probably going to be McClanahan, Drew Rasmussen, and Corey Kluber. Mm-hmm. And and I think once Tampa gets healthy, which it's starting to, you know, I never thought I would be talking about Harold Ramirez in reverential terms. Harold Ramirez is hitting like 340. This He's year. having a terrific uh, year. Har- Harold Ramirez is back. Manny Margot is back. Uh, they're going to be getting some relievers back. And uh, I think in a short series, Kevin Cash uh, and his ability to deploy relievers is really good. And I know people can laugh about yanking Blake Snell after six, understood. But uh, tactically, I, I love the way in a short series Cash manages. And, and I also look at Seattle. And let me tell you guys something. People don't know this about the Mariners. Their bullpen is really good. Mm-hmm. And, and it's a bunch of no-name guys, too. You know, Paul Seawald and Eric Swan. Look at Eric Swanson's numbers this year. They're obscene. Uh, and Penn Murphy and Matt Festa and, uh, you know, just the Diego Castillo. Um, just these guys you wouldn't think. And almost all of them uh, are having, like, borderline all-star caliber years. Um, and, and so you have that and a rotation that has Logan Gilbert, uh, Luis Castillo, Robbie Ray, and George Kirby. I, I know you can go only three of those, but that's a pretty damn good top of the rotation. So, uh, listen, they, all all three of them are in the same arena where you don't want to face them, but you still feel like if you're the Jays, you might be better than all of them. Huh. Any doubt in your mind that the Guardians win the Central? Yes, absolutely. Oh, really? I, I okay. Understand. Yeah, they're, uh, listen, Minnesota is looking really bad right now. I don't think they're as bad as they've been playing. Right. So um, I think Minnesota is going to make something of it. 
Uh, I I picked the White Sox to win the World Series this year because I'm a moron. So just like based based on what they've done so far and and how bad they've made me look, they're they're out. Yeah. Um, so <laughs> because because doubling down on a bad decision with an irrational one is always the right thing to do. Oh, exactly. It's uh, it's 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 classic. Well, I mean, it's one of the things you can do when you're a sports writer or a sports talk show host. <laughs> It's 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 your go-to, Jeff. Thanks for doing this, man. Again, thanks congratulations on the Jenkins. You're awesome. Thanks. Thank you, boys. Take care, Jeff. Pass an MLB insider with ESPN. It's a great question. It's not an now, easy. Passan makes a good point. It's not I, an I, easy answer, though. No, and 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 yeah, the 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 Mariners bullpen is really, really, really. It's really good. It, it is that that, but they they have a lot of hard throwers, and it's not all the time about location. The Rays is about location with weird arm angles and power. They have all three. That's why they're in the wild card. It's not because of hitting. It's not because they're defense. It's not because they're base running. It's, Clearly not because, of, it's yeah. because they're pitching because they do all those three things of pitching. And now Cleveland, you throw in there, can do those things in the rotation and that closer. So the if that other... team has a weakness, they're attacking it. That's the only reason I say it. I'm not saying that the Mariners are not, but you pick one. Yeah. And you're trying to match up the Jays against that team's pitching, and can that team's pitching get the Jays' outs weakness? And the Mariners, it's, hard. it's a it's a tough call. And anyway. the Mariners pitch the Jays. The Mariners pitch the Jays. To, I mean, look, but they're all over 500. They the Jays are. generally don't have success. Against but teams when, over when you get the playoffs, you can throw all of that out the window. It's you're going to manage it differently. You're going to play it differently. You're going to act differently. It's going to be fun, though. Hopefully, it, we get to see it. Yeah. Uh, we mentioned that the 1992 World Series champion Blue Jays will be feted this weekend uh, on Saturday before a uh, before the Jays Angels game at the Rogers Center. Uh, that ceremony will be shown live on uh, Blue Jays Central. So if you're not down at the ballpark, uh, you'll be able to watch it. Uh, there's also going to be another feature on Blue Jay Central, uh, put together, narrated, organized by our next guest, Jamie Campbell. It's um, a different tone, obviously, than the 1992 World Series. It's uh, a timely uh, feature, given what is going on right now in Nova Scotia with the hearings and investigations uh, into the RCMP's handling of the mass shooting incident in Porto Peak. Jamie Campbell will join us to give us some insight into the feature and talk a little bit about how it came about. It's Blair and Barker on Sportsnet 590, The Fan 360, and wherever you get your favorite podcast. More Leafs, more Raptors, more Blue Jays. The Fan Morning Show with J.D., Blake, and Ailish. Be sure to subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. DMs are open for Barker's backleg bits. That is your chance to ask questions, solicit comments from, poke fun at, or generally converse with the co-host of Blair and Barker, Kevin Barker. 
be easy on the poke fun end. Yeah, exactly. Huh? SN Jeff Blair is my Twitter handle. Uh, DMs are open. And uh, we've got, we, we, we get a lot for Mr. Barker, and I apologize. The good ones I will, the good ones I will collate, I will keep, and, and we'll get to them eventually. But it's true. We have, I mean, we got like, we got 30 or 40 a day, and we can, just can't get, a, get around all of them. Um, but uh, anyhow, we'll, we'll try to get to as many. Mm-hmm. as uh, we possibly can. Um, if you have been following the news uh, recently, you will know that um, the RCMP, in particular their commissioner, Brenda Lucky, uh, have uh, been making frequent appearances and making their case in front of the a commission known as the Mass, Mass Casualty Commission, which is looking into the uh, shooting in um, shootings, I should say, in Nova Scotia, the 22 murders that were committed over a thir- uh, 13-hour shooting spree in 2020 between August 18th and uh, and August 19th, and um, the uh, committee hearings have, not surprisingly, I mean, they're seeking to address a lot of issues seeking to bring closure to some of the family, seeking to get to the bottom of the line, uh, to, to getting to the bottom as to how this, this could possibly happen. And, and of course, obviously ensuring that as much as you can anyhow, uh, it doesn't happen again, that appropriate measures are in place to prevent uh, anything like this happening. But it's also the search for answers uh, invariably also opens old wounds for people who lived through that particular incident. Um, the Blair family of Portapique, Nova Scotia, and uh, just as, you know, just as a matter of public record, uh, no relations to me. Uh, the Blair family of Portapique, Nova Scotia, one of the families that uh, uh, was victimized by this mass shooting, and. Um, The children of a couple who were shot in their home uh, while the kids were home in hiding, um, both of them uh, are huge, huge baseball fans. Their father uh, was a massive Blue Jays fan as well as a Montreal Canadiens fan. So uh, two of the kids uh, visited Toronto to see a Blue Jays game. They'd never seen a game live. It's something that their father had talked about doing at some point with them. And um, Jamie Campbell has put together a feature for Blue Jays Central on this. It will air this weekend. He was very much a part of organizing this, uh, this particular, uh, the effort to get these kids from Nova Scotia to Toronto. And uh, Jamie, who is, of course, the host of Blue Jay Central, joins us in Blair and Barker. Jamie, I want you, I mean, that's, I've kind of given the background of the story as much as I can. Um, tell us a little bit about, well, well, tell us about the feature. I've seen the feature. Put, put the feature in your words and tell us how, how this came about. Well, good morning, Jeff and Kevin, and thank you for uh, having me on to talk about this. Um, it's a, uh, a project that had been in play for over two years. Um, Back in April of 2020, I had started an an initiative on Twitter, knowing that uh, at the time there was no baseball season to reach out to people 
um, who might have felt isolated and talked to them about uh, what they were going through. And when this tragedy occurred in Nova Scotia, I sent out another tweet saying that I would like to focus on phoning people who might be hurting in that specific province. And one of the direct messages I received was from a woman in Porta Peak by the name of Christine Toole. And she had asked me if I would be willing to phone Tyler Blair. And Tyler is the oldest of four children, the four children of Greg and Jamie Blair, both of whom had been killed in this massacre. And admittedly, I was I was quite taken back by her suggestion and uh, agreed to do so. Um, but but I took a few days before calling Tyler because this had requested come in just weeks after his parents had been killed. Right. Um, and admittedly, I was I was quite nervous when I picked up the phone and phoned him. But um, you know, Tyler was extremely receptive, and we had a wonderful conversation. And he had been suddenly put in a position um, to be a father to his three younger brothers. He's got a brother, Craig, who's about two years younger than he is. And then there are two um, younger brothers who at the time were 12 and 10, Alexander and Jack. And all four had lost their parents, obviously. Um, And one of the things that Tyler said to me was, you know, we love baseball. We love the Blue Jays. Um, and prior to his death, my father had always talked about the idea of bringing all four of us to Toronto to show us what it's like to go to a Blue Jays game. And the moment I heard this, he referred to it as his dad's bucket list. I said, well, you know what, Tyler, if you're willing, we'll take care of that for you. I would love to see that journey come to fruition, and um, I will do whatever I can do to make that possible. So, as you both know, the 2020 season was shortened. The Blue Jays never came back to Toronto. Uh, Last year, they did make it back to Toronto, but not until late July, and the opportunity just wasn't there. So, this offseason, I phoned Tyler again, and I said, listen, um, you know, it looks like we're going to play a full season uh, uninterrupted. Um, all games at home at the Rogers Center. What do you think? Could you guys, uh, if I set it up with assistance from so many people, would you be able to come to Toronto? And he said, absolutely. So uh, in the middle of July, when the Blue Jays were hosting Kansas City, um, I woke up on a Friday morning feeling like a nervous father because um, I had some guests arriving at the airport that I'd never met before. And uh, as you'll see on Sunday, if you join us on Blue Jay Central to see the uh, the piece that Paul Sadu has put together, uh, it, it came off magnificently. The, the, the boys had uh, the time of their lives. And, and you know, there's, there's nothing like seeing smiles on the faces of people who have suffered unimaginable anguish. Well, and I would, you know, I, I would think that's especially the case given... I mean, there's the timeliness of this as well from a news point of view, given the fact that this hearing is going on. And, you know, I admit I'm, I'm following it you know, from a distance as, as one does. But it's, um, as I said, the part of the reason for this hearing is to get is to find responsibility and assume that as much as you can or prepare for it 
so that it doesn't, as much as you can, it doesn't happen again. But I think mm-hmm. it's, there's also an element of closure here. And, uh, and I, I, I've got to think that this, I mean, I'm, I'm, this might provide, I mean, certainly you lose both of your parents in the manner that those four kids lost their parents. Mm-hmm. Closure seems kind of a trite concept, but I, I've, I've, I've got to think that this, at least in some way, kind of uh, will kind of contribute to, to closure. I would hope that that is the case, uh, given what those four boys went through. And unfortunately, the third of the four boys, Craig, couldn't make it. The, the two oldest Blairs, Tyler and Craig, both have kids of their own. Right. Um, so Craig had to stay back and look after his newborn. Um, Tyler and his fiancée, Jade, have a little one, too. So, you know, Tyler's had to take on the responsibility of being a father to Alexander and Jack, as well as uh, his own children. Um, and what he does uh, bravely in this uh, feature that we'll present on Sunday is explains in fairly rich detail what Alexander and Jack went through when they were home and this man appeared at the front door dressed as an RCMP officer. And it's, it's heart-wrenching to listen to. Uh, and I applaud Tyler for being so brave in, in trying to describe what his brothers have told him because he was about a half an hour drive away at his own home when this all took place. And, you know, I know he regrets not being there. I don't know what he might have been able to do uh, to prevent what happened, but um, it's, it's incredible to meet these two young men knowing what they've seen, knowing what they've experienced, knowing what they've lost. So, for a two-day stretch in Toronto to see such joy on their faces. Um, and there's a little surprise element. We learned in our conversations with them that they, you know, it's a family tradition to love the Montreal Canadiens as well as the Blue Jays. As, as Jack so eloquently states, it was forced upon them <laughs> at a young age. They had no choice but to love the Blue Jays and no choice but to love the Montreal Canadiens. And... Um, I'm very fortunate in that I have a, uh, a very personal tie to the Canadians and was able to surprise the boys when they were at the ball game on the Friday night. And uh, that's a, an element of the feature that you will see on Sunday. Well, I don't want you to give it away, but I, I, I want you to give a little. I think they're huge uh, Bo Bichette fans, right? When, when they yes. met Bo, how did that go? That was, they had just gotten off the plane. The plane was delayed from Halifax, and um, they rushed down to the Rogers Center. Because I had approached Bo a few days earlier, and I said, would you mind meeting a couple of young men on Friday? He said, of course. And uh, they had just stepped foot on the field at that moment. And the next thing you know, here comes their favorite player. And I think it caught them by surprise. And I mean, you both know, you both have had conversations with people like Bichette, uh, Danny Jansen spent some time with the boys. Kevin Gosman was extremely generous with his time. Um, And I went to Bo a few days after the boys had returned to Nova Scotia and just said, hey, listen, you know, I I know that you're um, a person who is in demand and there are a lot of people that want your time, but you know, I'm very grateful for what you did on Friday. And he said something that kind of stuck with me. He says, you know, Jamie, that's why we're here. And I said, isn't that interesting? You know, you guys know Bichette is there to be the best imaginable baseball player that he can be. And 
you know, he's usually first guy on the field working on something, whether it's fielding or hitting. But for him to make that statement about having to understand what the role is um, when not playing the game really, really hit me quite hard. So um, I love the moment he approached the boys because I think it, it made them realize that, um, you know, despite the anguish uh, that, that they have endured in the last couple of years, there can be happy times and there will be many of them as they grow older. And, uh, and I think Bo and Danny Jansen and, and specifically Kevin Gosman really contributed to that while they were here. Jamie, listen, it was really good of you to join us today. Thanks so much. We look forward to the uh, feature this week. And as I said, I managed to uh, watch it um, uh, yesterday. And, uh, yeah, it's, uh, I would urge everybody who uh, is, uh, pays attention to the Blue Jays to, uh, to watch this feature. It's really well done. Thanks for your time, man. Appreciate it. Thanks, Jamie. Thanks. Thanks for the interest, gentlemen. We'll see you soon. Thanks. Jamie Campbell, host of Blue Jays Central. Uh, it's time for Barker's Backleg Bits, that part of the show where we solicit viewer emails or DMs. Um, and uh, got to do some, some quick housekeeping right away. And uh, I want to credit the uh, person who sent this in, um, Mark Vendramini. Uh, Greg Maddox was not on the 92 Braves, he says. So there you go. Uh, we were talking about how good the 92 Braves pitching staff was. It was still good, mind you. Mm-hmm. Um, Molson Glavin's pretty good. AJ, given how Tapia and Bradley have been effective, do you think the Blue Jays should sign Michael Conforto in the offseason, AJ and Brampton? There was a lot of talk about Michael Conforto uh, as a free agent, um, left-hand. I mean, he's certainly profiled as the type of guy the Jays would be interested in. <clears throat> left-handed hitter. Uh, he hasn't played this year because he's been hurt. The only uh, He's a name that came up, but the major issue, one, is there's really no clarity on whether or not he's vaxxed or unvaxxed, which mm-hmm. clearly would be an issue this year. I don't know if it'll be an issue next year. I mean, who the hell knows what the uh, uh, what the regulations would be, though. I've, I've got to think, look, Jackie Bradley Jr. is here for this year. Um, Ryan Altapia... You know, I, I would think the Jays are still going to be looking for left-handed hitting in the offseason, but this something Kevin's talked about. We've moved, we've moved beyond Michael Conforto being an answer now. This is like two or three years where we've seen you need an everyday hitter, an everyday left-handed hitter. I don't want to take a chance on a quote-unquote bounce-back candidate. I need a guy coming in next year who can play every day for me, preferably in the outfield possibly to replace I'm, I'm with you but i do think you need to have left-handed bench players like the top is going to be in the yeah no, for no sure top well, is no on question, the team no question uh, i'm i'm not any, i'm, any, I'm any not chance, saying that any chance you could add a veteran guy who knows how to sit over there for a couple of days and come off the bench and give you competitive at bats you need to fill your team with those but i'm with you like they they we're past we know exactly it doesn't take a baseball guru to watch the Blue Jays on an everyday basis and know what it takes for them, for me, in my mind, yep. to get to the next level, which is to win the World Series. And they need a everyday left-handed hitter, maybe two, that can they can sprinkle in that adds balance, that makes that pitcher do something different. Simple. 
Yeah. No, I, I think that's that that's that's really well said, and that's something that we've been that we have been talking about. It's it's got to be a, a Rymel Tapia's in this team, but it has to be somebody better than him as an everyday. And something player. different means not throw to one side of the plate with two pitches. Have right. to throw to a, the different side of the plate. Have to use a breaking ball. 12-6, early in the count. Have to use that pitch to put somebody away. Use the changeup more. Not just be able to go four-seamer away, cutter, slider away. Do something different. Uh, Ian Fraser. It's a good question. It is. Ian Fraser. It looks like Bo is trusting the process a little more when he hits down in the order. He laid off a bunch of outside pitches last night they would regularly go after. Is this real? Or am I imagining things? Is he getting back to basics here instead of feeling or hustling, thinking he needs to be a run producer? I don't see that. I, you know, I think his first at bat, he swings at an 0-0 fastball. In, that's four or five inches off the plate that he doesn't have to swing at. I, I don't see that. I mean, I, I we're all hoping we see that. And every time we see him take a pitch that he normally swings at, now he's got it. And it's because he's hitting sixth or seventh. I. For me, I don't buy that. Like, I'm not believing that. I think you are sort of what you are this season. And I think he is what he is. Uh, Kevin. Kevin O'Wilden. Twitter handle. Wonders if we're not maybe, if if we need to also mention Matt Gage or Tyler Saucedo as pitchers who might be a candidate to be called up simply because having more than one lefty out of the pen would make it a lot easier for Schneider in September and October. It, it would be a luxury. I, I just don't know if it's a luxury the Jays can afford right now, given what else they have to do. Like, I, mm-hmm. I can't say this enough. You know, I, I know there are people... I never had an issue with the rosters expanding in September. Me either. I, I, I was I, one I, of those I, roster men. Well, I had no problem with Me it. Me either. This was a bad year for this to come into play for the Blue Jays because when you look at what the Blue Jays might need in September going down the stretch, they they don't know what they're going to get from Merriweather. They don't know where Nate Pearson is. Conceivably, theoretically, those two arms could really help the Blue Jays, but you're not going to be able to bring up two pitchers. You can only bring up two position players or one pitcher and one position player. The Jays already have Trevor Richards. They've already got Yusei Kikuchi. I cannot say this enough. I, I, I think the whole focus on limiting expanded rosters, first of all, the timing sucked for the Blue Jays. Secondly, I, I think it was an issue. I, yeah, I think people were looking for an issue. And everybody's saying, well, the games got late in September because there were so many pitchers available, pitching changes being made, yada, yada. You know what? Deal with it. It's, it's something that, believe me, Middle of September, we may be looking at back thinking, man, this was a bad time for this rule to Taylor come into Salcedo, play. Taylor Saucedo, I'm not sure I'm, I'm on board with that. The, the Matt Gage thing. Matt I think, Gage is I kind think of cutter place. I've always, I, I I've kind of wondered why he hasn't been up here more than he has with Matt Gage. They you know, have, I'm not they saying have guys it's a that big they have deal. to put on the team. Well, yeah, that's why he's not here. You know, um, and, and, and the, you know, the process the tre- of elimination. Yeah, the Trevor Richards thing is. You know that it's clear. It's clear that they. Uh, so you say Kikuchi thing is that's a thing too. Yeah, it, it is. Uh, I mean that that's that's really an anchor right now. That's I, it's that's a not, good word. It, it's an yeah. It, it's it's an anchor. It's having an impact on on. Um, it's having an impact on what the Jays do. It just is. Even with him 
but that's a good question, and we will see how they handle it. Yeah, it is. Man, it's a good question. Fascinating. It's one of the things I'm I'm going to yeah. be watching the next couple of weeks, and where it really gets interesting now, because I think we're probably going to see Julian Merriweather pretty soon. I think Ben, as much as said, he thought that Merriweather will be up here. You're shaking your head, but you know what? He's rehabbing. He's done what he's supposed to do in Buffalo. They still got him here. Might as well see what you got. But my whole point is where it gets interesting is if you bring Merriweather up and he gives you a little something, now what's your decision? Because I, I don't know. It's possible that Nate Pearson isn't even in their thought process for this year at all. It's entirely possible that he's not in their thought process for this year at all. But my whole point is you've already got a passenger in the bullpen in, you say, Kikuchi. I don't know how easy it's going to be to have two passengers in the bullpen. Getting Tim Mesa for me is getting him right is more important than Merriweather or you and say Kikuchi you're, you're right. or and Mesa's Trevor Velo Richards or Tim Mesa's more important. Yeah. You figure it out with him. Get him right. Although I now still – you're cooking with gravy. I do – I'm not entirely certain that one lefty's enough. That's just me when I look at the teams you're going to be facing in the playoffs. There's no perfect team, and the Blue Jays are not perfect. Yeah, that is true. Uh, that's it for us. We will be on Blue Jays Talk tonight, weather permitting. And we will be back tomorrow from 10 to noon Eastern on Sportsnet 590. The Fan, the Sportsnet Radio Network, Sportsnet 360. As always, if you're following us on podcast, subscribing, Please rate and review. Thanks so much for joining us. We'll chat tomorrow.